Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, Scott Bass, athleticgreens.com slash surf. I don't know if you saw this. They were actually, um, the New York Times just wrote an article about them and their success last week. No, I didn't see the article in the New York Times about Athletic Greens, but it does not surprise me because Athletic Greens is my go-to superfoods, super green drink. And uh, I love it. And I just got back from a trip and guess what I brought on my trip? A little travel sample travel packets that they give me for my athletic greens. AG1, folks. The That's key. I have, keeping my diet consistent when I travel has always been an issue. And when I was young, it really didn't matter that much. But the older I get, I do notice the effects of poor dietary choices on the road. And so um, things that are fast, you know, are generally not good for you. <laughs> like just quick, convenient little things just aren't good. And so the fact that athletic greens is convenient, is fast, and it's good for you, keeps you straight while you're on the road. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about athletic greens. And it's something that I often talk about when I'm talking about diet and stuff that I'm eating and, and how I'm staying healthy, just, you know, out and about around town or with friends or on airplanes or whatever. Yeah. Well, that article on um, the New York Times wrote was mainly, it was talking about the success of the company because I guess they got some big valuation and a bunch of cash infusion, uh, but talking about specifically their strategy of podcast advertising, you know, how they've kind of heavily invested in that medium, this medium, and um, it's been a huge attribute for their, to their uh, success. So, and the product of course is as great as we say. So anyways, if listeners want to get in on it, athleticgreens.com slash surf is our portal. It supports us. You find optimal health. So it's a win-win. Beautiful. 
Um, I wanted to read something to you, Scott. Real Water Sports. Um, I got an email from a listener who heeded our advice. And it says, hey, first off, just wanted to say Real Water Sports is legit. I heard about them on one of your guys' shows. After perusing the website, I found a board that I thought would be amazing. An MR slash uh, Mayhem Cali Twin. Wanting to keep my dollars a little closer to home, I called my local surf shop that is a dealer, but they were not able to get specifically what I wanted without ordering me a custom. I didn't want to wait for months, so I just went ahead, ordered the board, purchased it through Real Water Sports. The board came in perfect condition and sooner than it uh, was scheduled to arrive, so I am stoked. That's great news, and, and proof is in the pudding. Real Water Sports incredible hard goods, uh, surfboards, fins, leashes, deck pads, board bags, everything you need for a surf trip. And they have a massive selection, as I mentioned, and they get the stuff to you quickly. The email went on to say, secondly, I was just watching Maker Break, the Maker Break episode four. Wow. It seems that Kanoa Igarashi is a full-on anchor baby. It's astonishing to me that his parents left Japan, assuming they were pregnant at the time, with not much, no English at that, with all the cards on the table, and Kanoa would become a surf star, with the hopes that Kanoa would become a surf star, and it happened. The fact that Kanoa hasn't buckled under so much pressure since is absolutely crazy. So that's a compliment to Kanoa and his parents from the listener as well. Yeah, and I've told you the story before about uh, my son Hank when he was five years old he was in a um, surf contest the Rob Machado little like you know kids thing or whatever and Kanoa was in it right and Kanoa's five and Kanoa might have been four <laughs> who knows he's just tiny and Hank's tiny and we're all the dads are out there and our kids are in knee high water and they're catching little teeny white waters, you know, and standing up and everyone's clapping. Kanoa and his dad are outside, outside in like four foot breakers. It's double overhead for Kanoa. Kanoa is tiny, you know, as a little kid, as a four year old. His dad's out there pushing him into waves. Kanoa's standing up in double overhead waves and kind of ripping. And we're just like, that's next level. Like that's, it's almost embarrassing for his parents in a weird way. It was so over the top. Did it make you want to paddle out and no, push tank into waves? No, it made me go, here's a baseball glove. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thanks for that email, listener. And uh, yeah, realwatersports.com. And then we'll get on to today's show. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit. 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 We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. What's up, bros? Yeah, guy. Hey, that's my version of the yeah guy, but we do, David, have the original version today. A very special guest, which I recorded this morning, by the way, our friend Jimmy Bear, who we have on our short list of people who may have invented or were the first to utter the yeah guy phrase. Um, but first, David, let me say good morning. Welcome. It is uh, July 13th. It's a Wednesday morning. And um, this is Spit, the Spit podcast. 
Yeah, thank you. Good morning to you. And here's from the man himself. Go for it. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. What's up? Yeah, guy. Like you saw Martin in the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah, guy. What's up? <laughs> you know? Right? Yeah, guy. Thanks, dude. Yeah. What's up, man? It sounded guys, authentic to me. Guy's special. A good guy. Uh, was that in the beach parking lot or was that in oh, a that grocery was, store environment? That was, a, that was the grocery store this morning. Okay. Ran into Jimmy Bear at my favorite grocery you know, store, Seaside Market. Has uh, have other patrons there told him that he's becoming a podcast celebrity? No, he didn't seem to know. I told him, I go, hey, we're trying to figure out, you know, the origin or who were the first guy to say it. And, he, and I asked him if he minded me recording him. And he goes, no, go for it. Did he um, claim to be the originator of the saying? No, Did he know we, what you were talking about? I was kind of... A, in a bit of a hurry. I wish I would have had more time to chat with him about it. And I will. We'll get more insight later. We're going to keep you hanging. His story continues. The saga continues. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, well, another saga just began unfolding this morning for you and I, and that is at J-Bay, South Africa. The highly anticipated event. Finally, a return to good surf. And that is kind of what I've been feeling the the anticipation leading into this event as you see clips starting to get posted. Um, I was like, I had so much anticipation to see this event open just because the waves are so good. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, finally, let's see the world's best surfing, a world-class wave, one of the world-class waves. So I was thrilled to see the event open up this morning. Yeah, I was too. And I've been watching some of it. I've been trying to catch up and set my fantasy team and so forth and so on. And, uh, and it's been good. I mean, the waves are pumping, right? It's just, it's J Bay. It's uh, a legit world-class wave and with the world's best surfer. So here we go. Like it's going to be an exciting, I don't know, week, week and a half. Well, the waves were very good for day one. Um, tomorrow is supposed to be the day of days. So oh. tomorrow it should be proper cooking. I wonder if there's listeners here in North America that do the the uh, absolute fanatic deed of staying up all night and watching live footage. I used to. Even, That's I mean, crazy. in the amount of time that we've been recording this, yeah. uh, just I'd say four years ago, I probably gave up on it, but I would wake up. I don't think I would like pull an all-nighter, but I would wake up just to check what the waves are doing maybe stay up for a couple of important heats and then crash out again. But um, no longer. Life's responsibilities have gotten more important. Yes. Well, good. You've got a little guy. Um, do you know, by the way, I got a lot of feedback. We talked about Jordy, the listener called, oh, in yeah. called Jordy white, white chocolate. Yeah. The Lots guys of feedback that explaining. Swell. Yeah, go ahead. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The guys that ain't that swell, apparently, um, coined that but white chocolate because it has a very low melting point <laughs> and and jordy melts under the slightest amount of heat as we saw this morning in fact he lost his very first round heat yeah and I'm, i want to pull up who he surfs against next but i think it's a tough heat i think he's got a tough draw let me see if i can pull it up but yeah i mean white chocolate makes sense i guess the funny thing about the call we got was that they don't even call him Jordy anymore. That's just like, they just call him like, it's just, 
the name is stuck. The nickname is stuck. They just call him White Chocolate. Um, he's got Canelo, or he's got uh, Chloe Andino in his elimination round eight. Yeah, it's White Chocolate so, versus White Chocolate two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Jordy served amazingly. I mean, it's easy to make fun, and he did lose his heat, but yeah. he had his opening ride was insane and he fell on the closing floater but he looked in fine form up until that moment but that's why they call him white chocolate is of course he surfs insane it's just that he doesn't get the backup score and he ends up losing you know he ended up in third in that heat well you know look these are the world's best and jordy's one of them and so is kolohe and we make light of it but these guys are are incredible and if you look at the elimination round itself i mean if i told you in the semifinals is going to be Philippe Toledo, Griffin Colapinto, Jordy Smith, and Idolo Ferreira. You'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And they're all in the elimination round. And there's some other big names in there too. Well, I think the reason they are is because the post-cut format means that two surfers from the opening round heat end up going into the elimination round. It used our pre-cut. It's just the surfer that gets in third in that opening round heat. Now it's the surfers in second and third. So uh, I think that actually adds a lot more excitement to the elimination round. There's a lot better surfers. Yeah. So, but it's, did you, how much did you catch up? Did you get to watch a few heats? I caught three heats, you know, Um, and I was in the process of watching another one when we went on the air here. What'd you think of the event so far? I thought it was good. Um, You know, I was, I was lucky enough to catch Matthew McGillory's heat. I think it was heat one. Mm-hmm. Um, they looked and he won, sharp. He won that they, heat. They didn't look tack sharp. You know, if I could be hypercritical, I would say that um, the guys are surfing incredibly, but they're going to be raising their game, I think, as the heats move on here. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the scores I, reflected that. I agree with you. And yeah. So what was interesting was, well, first of all, the waves are good. They're not great. So everybody got an opportunity, but they didn't get two and three and four opportunities. So we saw a lot of the heats where somebody would have a big score, but not necessarily a big backup score. Um, But what was interesting is that the goofy footers looked actually were kind of the highlights of the day. Yago Dora's, uh, I think he got the biggest score with an 8.67 and just absolutely belted the thing. Uh, Nat Young surfed up to his full potential which we haven't seen in years and ended up winning that heat so i think on the women's side too tatiana weston webb was a big highlight um maybe caroline marks so goofy footers at jay bay not expected you know jay bay as we mentioned last week it's one of these waves that really requires tempo and rhythm and i think on your backhand it's once you're in that rhythm you're just flowing in almost an automatic state of being in the right tempo. Whereas frontside, I would challenge listeners, take a look at Matthew McGillery's uh, first heat in his opening wave. I think it was, he got like a 7.7 or a 6.85 or something, but you'll notice that there's a couple little check turns. Like he's not doing a bottom turn, hitting into the top of the wave with a top turn and then going straight into another bottom. There are these little check turns. And I noticed that with Baron Mamiya as well. At certain points of the wave, he's kind of doesn't know what to do with where he's at with the speed of his board. And he's not in the perfect tempo or the perfect rhythm 
Whereas Nat Young on his backside, Yago Dora on his backside, they seem to, once they tap into the rhythm right off of the first top turn, they're just set. And there's none of these yeah. backside check turns that you see sometimes, again, hypercritically on some of these frontside surfers. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair criticism. Um, it'll be interesting to see with the bigger waves, actually, if they, that might just go away completely, you know? Um, also, it'll be interesting to see, um, like, the local, I think, the local advantage, uh, Matt McGillivray had the local advantage because I think the waves were less than epic. And so he knew which waves to pick and all that sort of thing. But that kind of gets nullified as the waves get bigger as well. Um, but pacing is probably still going to factor in no matter what. So at any rate, um, it's an epic event. I'm thrilled. This is a great little wedding of the palette for another big day tomorrow. I was talking about seeing some of the footage leading into the event as a precursor. One of the things that Stab posted was the 2005 final between Kelly Slater and Andy Irons. Jake Patterson used to be on tour and he would film all this stuff with a handy cam. And so over the last couple of years, he was publishing it uh, under a YouTube channel called Snake Tales. And so that's where this video lives and we'll post it as well. But Kelly versus Andy in the final at J-Bay, it was freaking epic. What year it was, was it? just 2005. I think that was the year Kelly won, and a lot of people thought that, that Andy should have won. Yeah. Is that right? It was. Yeah, I yes. remember that. And Kelly's in the white wetsuit. Yeah. That it's very quiet. Like, if you oh, watch they're pushing Kelly. I remember around the Surfer Magazine offices, because Rick Irons is, is the publisher there, and of course, his his cousin is Andy Irons. There was a lot of, I remember we were all gathered around the, the computers going, no way, I can't believe they gave Kelly the score. Anyway, I remember that specifically. Well, it was questionable. It was very close. And so yeah. it could be argued either way. Yeah. But I'll just tell you, like they're surfing today on tour would oh, yeah. still be getting huge scores. Yeah. And, but what's rad about it is just um, how much personality they both have and how much of that personality showcased in their surfing. And it makes me miss that we don't have more of that today. Surfers have style nowadays, but it's not the same as their personality being infused through their surfing. You know, and Andy up and riding, just the way he approached it, you're just like, whoa, that's raw, that's gnarly. And then Kelly, He'd be like trying to get gnarly and he'd push like a little extra flare into the tail and the crowd explodes because of that. There was just this real palpable energy that you just don't have nowadays, I feel. Well, as you know, too, I mean, understanding the context of what was happening with those two and their rivalry and what had happened in Hawaii and what was happening. And Andy was really, you know, I mean, he was kind of peaking right then. And yeah, so there was all that, right? There was all the backstory of Kelly and Andy. I mean, it, it was building. Which is exactly kind of my point and yeah. exactly what we're missing. And I mean, we harp on and on about the WSL's direction and blah, blah, blah. But it became so painfully obvious or glaringly obvious when I watched just that one clip. It was like, there, as the viewer, there's so much to sink your teeth into when you're watching that. And if you didn't know who was who and what's what, 
the energy still gets you through osmosis, you know, and you want to know, you want to know what these stories are, why are, oh my God, and that guy's wearing white and that guy's wearing black and now they go, you know, it's really exciting. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it it was, and plus, you know, it was kind of like early days of high bandwidth. I mean, it was early days of watching competitive surfing live too, you know, so it was a lot of fun. And there are some guys like when you were, you mentioned, you know, do we see we see great style, but do we see the personality of the guy come out in the style? And I think we do. Like, and so Edlo comes to mind as a guy who he kind of surfs like his personality. You know what I mean? Like it's a good see, point. You see the, the two things, but, but there is a lot of vanilla on tour and, and that sort of, you know, like Jiao Chianka is a great example. Like I sense that you, you get his personality. It manifests itself in his surf style. And that's um, a great point. Yeah, you know, so there are guys, but you're right, there wasn't this this crazy, there was a real, you know, black cowboy hat, white cowboy hat thing with Kelly and Andy. And and like you mentioned, it was palpable. I interviewed Steve Pesman um, about his new book that just came out. It's called 50 Years of Surf Riding. Yeah. And that we talked about this exact thing because as I went through that book, it was like, the interviews are Mickey Dora, you know, um, Greg Knoll, Brock Little, Mickey Munoz, Jackie Baxter, all these really defined individuals, distinctly different from one another. And we were talking about how surfing sorely misses that nowadays. And what we kind of identified was it absolutely still exists in surfing. There's tons of those people still out there surfing where it doesn't exist is in surf media. Surf media doesn't go out and seek those people and profile them like Steve was doing with the journal or with surfer magazine. What we are, the people who we are seeing are the ones that are sponsored, that the brands are promoting their positioning through the media And once that surfer is getting those paychecks, they're then kind of speaking to a script or not saying certain things. Their personality is tamped down to, you know, to amplify the brand's imaging or whatever it is. And certainly when you get on the level of the WSL, then you're beholden to all sorts of other things and you're not allowed to say certain things. So that's why we get this homogeneity and or homogeneity or whatever. And um, it makes perfect sense. And money is the culprit probably largely, but there are those individuals still charging undisclosed breaks and not, not shining a light on themselves. You know, the name that came to mind um, for me was Clay Marzo, right? I mean, his surfing is just incredible. It's just next level. And I found myself asking myself while you were talking, would Clay Marzo be an interesting interview? You know, he might not be because I just don't know. You know, he has this Osbergers. He might not be able to communicate his feelings as effectively as we would hope. Like somebody like Mickey Dora, who's just tack sharp, you know, that when you interview him, you know, you're going to get not only incredible answers, but probably an agenda that comes with it, which you know, may or may not be a good thing. But but, you know, but so Clay Marzo is, is the that character. guy, right? Like, like could, you know, you know, like, give me some other examples. Let's think of some other well, examples that, that are so, being, well, let me being unpack ignored. That, you know, they're being ignored. So 
I'll give you one, but let me unpack Clay Marzo first. Yeah. You're right. He wouldn't be a great interview, but what Pesman would have done back in his day was go spend time with Marzo and write this story that shows what an interesting character Clay is, even if it's not an interview. It would be an essay or a profile piece that highlights how interesting Clay Marzo is. And that Asperger's uh, storyline, there's tons of meat to unpack there, you know? Um, It just wouldn't be a straightforward interview or podcast interview, let's say. But another example, I think, to answer your question would be Albie Layer. Albie Layer is a guy who is outspoken and that other than Stab Magazine, I think the industry almost turns away from it because it's because he's outspoken, because he's kind of a volatile uh, quantity. Yeah, I about that, I would just say that there's not enough media. Like you mentioned Stab Magazine. They did, they, they did and would do some more on Albie. What's the other outlet? You know, there's really just the journal. Well, then, well, okay, let's media aside. Why has he never had a mainstream sponsor then? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's too outspoken. I, I don't know. I think that, I think that could be what it is. Yeah. There's probably, there's probably, you know, brands are like, do we need the headache? Can we get somebody, can we get somebody that's a little bit easier to deal with? But I don't think Albie's tough to deal with. I mean, look, if you're a brand and you sign Albie later, that's what you're signing. You're signing the controversy. That's what you want. You know what I mean? And you're smart enough to go, we either want that or we don't. And I think in this day and age, you you might want that, you know, up to a point, unless it gets overboard. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I think. I mean, his his head injuries, his story is is fascinating. You know, like there's a lot of, there's a lot going on there physically, his health status, you know, and and I think he's a guy too, that has changed his perspective on things post trauma which which is yeah. also very you know easy to write about i mean the, the the outlines there for you totally um well i'm a huge fan of his and who's another guy <clears throat> um i mean i'm i'm every example i think of is a little bit dated like i was gonna say dean morrison kobe aberton nathan hedge um yeah, you're dating yourself here. I know I am. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Of like the modern up and coming crop. What about like Aaron Brooks's Jacob, dad? Jacob Zeekley. <laughs> Jacob, I know Jacob well. He's a funny kid. I'm a big fan of his. But also prone to controversy, you oh, know, yeah. and kind oh, of yeah. and everybody and a lot of people turn their back. Yeah. Yeah, he's prone to controversy, but he's he's mellowing out. He's mellowing out a lot. He, um, let's see who else is a out friend there? of mine. A friend of mine who doesn't even surf. <clears throat> yeah, sent me a TikTok video. He's a full grown <laughs> man who who for some reason is uh, scrolling TikTok. Oh, scrolling TikTok every day. Yeah, and I'm I don't even have the app, so I have to open it in Safari and like oh, try yeah. to figure out where the play button is. Uh, anyways, he sent me a clip the other day, which is Jacob uh, jumping off a rock in Mexico, like basically acid dropping, not a, not a big rock, yeah. but just like yeah. a little ledge onto a left point, a mushy left point, doing a turn or two, and then some local punching him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. I've That's seen like the, a year old. 
yeah it's an it's an old clip and i my buddy's like what the hell is this does this happen in surfing you know and i'm like oh so i had to give him the context i'm like oh that kid's kind of a problem and like he showed up and he's being boisterous and the locals just kind of had to shut him up and from what i remember the kid jacob was contrite and apologetic and all that sort of stuff so it worked out fine in the end yeah but it was just funny that he sent it to me yeah that is funny tiktok you now that your buddy's gonna just have a bunch of jake algorithm he's in the algorithm jake's just gonna start showing up on his tiktok for sure um well uh we i talked about style and personality one thing that i will say that i love about this event and what we love about world-class waves in general is that it really does highlight style like if you have style it showcases in spades on a wave on that much canvas, essentially. Whereas if you're surfing beach breaks or even when G-Land was small, there's nowhere for the style to show itself. And um, so you, again, homogeneity, you get all of surfing style kind of crushed down into this narrow spectrum because there's nowhere to showcase it. And so once you open up the aperture, you really start to see these distinct things happening. And um, style is something, I don't know where it comes from, but it's something that needs to be factored in. I don't know about to the sto- into scoring, but certainly into appreciation. And we're starting to see that through day one. Well, and, and it is, as you mentioned, um, you know, it should, we need to see it in the scoring and it is in the scoring. And then, you know, you and I have broken it down in the past and it, and you're right, Jay Bay at six feet does give you the opportunity to, to go, you know what, just, clearly obvious that this guy's a smoother surfer than this guy and it's those moments as we've often talked about in between turns what's happening in the in the empty space you know and it's like that that neil pert the drummer from rush thing that i told you about where he there was a documentary and he took lessons from this fabulous drummer a legendary drummer guy who said basically told neil pert you know that my time is kept to the silence in between the beats. It's not on the beats. It's in the silence. And I think that's a great analogy for, for surfing. What's happening in between the turns is where the style or you and I are going, God, that guy's got good style. You know, mm-hmm. where are his arms? Yeah. Where are his hands? Where, where is his body? How is he dancing? You know, does he look relaxed? Or does he look tense? Yeah. And is he, is it obvious that he's gearing up for something down the line? Or is it going to be sort of spontaneous because we don't know what's next based on what he's doing in those, that quiet space between turns. Um, When I was a kid, I would pause Rob Machado's sections in whatever video I had because I had this experiment going on in my own head where I was like, you could pause his surfing anywhere, essentially take a photograph of Rob anywhere on the wave and it's print worthy. And so many other people, you could only pause it on the kind of fully extended part of the turn. That was the moment that you want the imagery, you know? And when they're pumping, it's ugly or whatever. It's ugly. You just wanted this one moment. For Rob, it was every single moment from him paddling into a wave to just getting to his feet, to like highlining, to a big turn, to a barrel, whatever. It was all photographed. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Look, Rob's one of those guys. I mean, I, you and I have spoken about this. I would suggest to you that, you know, when you think about, like you think about Jerry Lopez, you think about 
but in the contemporary world, I would say Rob Machado, Dave Rostovich, uh, Tom Curran. You know, there's a those are maybe those are the three where you're like Mike. There's we'd have to add Mikey February, maybe on tour uh, right now. I don't know about Mikey February, maybe, but it. it uh, maybe I'm 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 asking you to, to give me the the top three stylists. Oh, in top the world. three, top okay. three stylists in the world. The, the just Part. no matter what, at any point on the way, you could stop and print out a photograph. Yeah, I'd go for sure, Machado, Machado, Rostovich, and Tom, and Tom. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have to. I feel like we're missing one though. But I'm sure somebody will have some insight. Yeah. It's funny, though. You said, like, in the modern world, and then we revert back to examples I'm from saying our... those those guys are, you know, modern world. Those guys are contemporary still. They're doing it right now. They're doing it right well, now. Well, and they, they just haven't been replaced is the other thing, you know? Yeah. All right, Scott, neatessentialsusa.com. We've talked about their last chance section of the website. Uh, we need to draw listeners attention right now there's three packs we call them travel packs they're essentially backpacks uh there's three of them on there different sizes the wet dry bag and then two kind of um for everyday travel bags but go get your hands on those those are smoking deals and they're incredibly well built yeah need essentials usa.com uh check them out for the packs that david just mentioned and travel packs are crucial and i'm a huge fan you know what the perfect volume is for me? I couldn't tell you what it is on a surfboard, but I'll tell you what it is in a travel pack. And that is 26 liters. Okay. 26 liter travel pack. That's makes time. 26 liters. Fleece lined. They've got the laptop compartment padded, uh, ergonomically padded panel for your shoulders and the straps fleece lined media pockets for your, uh, all of your electronics and your sunglasses. So they don't scratch nylon ripstop base you know when they put that base that has that extra thick stuff so it doesn't ever get damaged or ripped or anything like that most importantly all black no external branding at all so it's just sleek like all the neat essential stuff so that's what you're getting you know what everything you need nothing you don't neatessentialsusa.com nailed it when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. 
linkedinjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Did you watch any of Kelly's surfing at J-Bay yet? Yeah, I was disappointed in his board. Like it, to me, it looked like his board wasn't, and maybe, maybe it's more than that. Maybe his headspace isn't right, but he looked off. He didn't look on. He looked about a little bit more than half of what Kelly could be. You know what I mean? Do you like, know what he was riding? No, but it had a weird, it, it had some color to it, like a gray kind of color to it. Like there was some spray on it or I don't know, something. I don't know what he was riding, but it didn't look like it was handling real nicely. It's disappointing. It looked like um, it was behind. He was always behind. Hmm. Yeah. Looking to see who he's drawing. Oh, he's got Baron Mamiya in his heat. That's a tough heat for him. That is a tough heat. Um, did you watch the most recent episode of Lost Tapes? No. Tell so. Me about it. It's a 2019 tour, of course, that this series is documenting. And it's the event in Rio, um, which he generally doesn't show up for. I didn't even remember that he made it to the 2019 Rio uh, Pro. But it was that year where they held it down the beach at that barreling right-hander. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was Wade Carmichael doing, was that the year Wade Carmichael was in the final? Yeah, I think he did actually. He lost maybe to uh, to Felipe in that was final. That, I think that was the event where Zeke had a moment with John John. I don't remember that. Yeah, where, where Zeke kind of tried to vibe John John or did vibe John John. Oh, that was Bells. Oh, that was Bells. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, at any rate, any rate, the waves are pumping, kind of barreling, you know, hefty beach break, lots of closeouts. And uh, again, the free surfing footage of Kelly is reason alone to watch this. Kelly paddles out, they're kind of assessing. First of all, the whole, the kind of main theme of this episode is how uh, fanatical the Brazilian crowds can get and the fans are and all that sort of stuff. And you could see the amount of pressure that that adds to Kelly. And it made me realize probably why he doesn't go in general is because the way that he worded it was actually really poignant. He said, there's only, there's not enough of me to go around or there's not enough of me to give. And it's like, what he meant was it's exhausting. The, con the contest is exhausting itself. Yeah. Like I'm mainly here to do my job, but everything around my job is people just wanting and wanting and wanting. And I go out and I sign autographs and I would love, I want to look people in the eye. I want to engage with them but there's a million of them and I can't. And the, and Taylor uh, Steele was with him on that trip. And so it was kind of cool to have Taylor's perspective. They interview him throughout the episode. Yeah. And Taylor's like, I've been through this with Kelly everywhere we go. And the way it always works the same. Somebody identifies him and they ask for a little bit, a moment of time, just an autograph or just a photo. And if Kelly, you want to be nice. And so Kelly will say yes. As soon as you say yes to one, other people start coming out of the woodwork. And before you know it, he's stuck, you know, and he's there for dozens of people or whatever. Well, in Rio, amplify that 
by hundreds. It's exponential and it's everywhere you go. There's just no getting away for it. So Kelly absolutely looked exhausted, but you see how much it affects these people's lives. Like it's meaningful to them. They are thrilled. They're in tears. Just getting an autograph, just seeing him, just getting a photograph seems like it's changing their life, you know, if not permanently, certainly it's bringing a lot of joy to that day or week or whatever. And so Kelly wants to engage, but he's like, there's just not enough of me to go around. So it's pretty interesting, but um, the free surfing again, in each of these episodes is what draws me back to it. And so seeing Kelly paddle out into that thumping surf and really he's, you know, obviously the greatest surfer in the world. So you're watching all these closeouts, you're watching people not make waves or not even make the drops. And he's falling out of the sky, navigating through these things, just, and again, not in the context of the contest, just him sussing out a lineup is just kind of magic to watch. So I'm, I loved it. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Well, me too. I mean, I don't think, you know, we're big Kelly Slater fans, you know, like, and to watch his free surfs almost better than watching him with the heat with a Jersey on. It a hundred percent is better. Um, and we just, the other thing is we just don't get enough of it was my original point. Um, the other interesting thing though, was I don't remember this happening in, in the moment, but he had this epic heat with Felipe and everybody's expecting Felipe to win. And Felipe gets barreled and does crazy airs and gets an eight. But then Kelly's up the back on a set wave, gets a crazier barrel, gets an eight five. And so it's back, back and forth. And with eight minutes left, Kelly gets on the ski and the, he tells the ski driver, punch it. And the ski driver does not punch it. The ski driver's like a little trepidatious and gets caught in a set, like a set wave breaking, gets caught and the ski tips and falls on Kelly. Buck uh, damages Kelly's board. Kelly gets his neck compressed because the dude lands on his head and breaks his hand. I don't know if he fully broke his hand. I don't remember any but, of this. So this is my point. They fully unpack it in this episode and you and I don't remember it. We watched that event. Yeah. I then remembered the heat with Felipe, but I don't remember that accident, you know? And sure enough, they're showing in this episode, the board, it's not broken, but it's punctured in a bunch of different spots. Um, Kelly's icing his hand. He said he broke his hand. I don't know if he actually did, but in the moment he yeah. thought that he did. Yeah. He certainly damaged his hand in the, and he lost eight minutes. This happened with eight minutes left with Kelly needing a score. So Kelly even says, he goes, look, I didn't want to make the ski. I could have come in. I could have complained. We could have sorted it out, but I don't want to make the ski driver feel bad. Like he's trying his best, but I did tell him to punch it and he didn't punch it. And this is the result of it. And I'm just thinking, gosh, this is so compelling. How do we not know about this? We watched that event. I do remember watching that heat after the, after I saw it again, it reminded me, I'm like, Oh, I remember this, how tight this heat was, but I don't remember this drama. You know, I got a hot idea. What if you change the rules so that the surfers drive the skis? So like when you're finished with your wave, you call over a ski driver, he just jumps off, you jump on and you're in charge of the ski. You jam out to the buoy or wherever the ski drop off areas. There's a guy swimming out there. You jump off, he jumps on. You let the surfer Perfect. control the ski. Perfect. 
Good I love stuff. it. We're going to turn this into <laughs> F1 before you know it. Well, I mean, they could only blame themselves at that point. Right. And just think so of all, in, it would be exciting as shit. In the off season, they're doing ski training as well. How to quickly get on, sit on your board and jam out there. Exactly. I mean, or they, the driver could just hop on the sled. You just swap positions, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm in charge. Get in the back, bud. Exactly. Exactly. The other, um, the other interesting thing, it's not a criticism. I don't know how else to do it, but Pat O'Connell was, you know, the uh, commissioner or the director at that time. And so Pat's, the event site was set up way down the beach at the crappy beach break, but the waves are pumping over on that right off the jetty. And so Pat was checking the waves that morning and Kelly shows up and he's like, Pat, we got to run out here. And Pat's like, well, I don't know. You know, like we've got the whole venue set up down there. Like, I, I don't know if we can get everything. If we call the event on over here, we move everything. And then this goes to crap. Like, are you going to take the heat for me? Am I going to be able to point the finger of blame at you? Kelly's like, it doesn't matter. Look at these waves are firing down the beach over there. It sucks. Like we have to run out here. And ultimately Pat agreed with Kelly, but it was just interesting to see like that one surfer has that much sway over this decision being made. Turns out it was the right decision and the surfers should have sway over where the event is running but it was kind of interesting to see that dynamic and how informal it was. Yeah. And, and on top of that, the, the sort of, well, the lack of nimbleness that the WCT carries with it, this, this baggage of logistics and operations that needs to be pared down to something where you can go, Oh yeah, let's just go hundred yards down the beach. And two hours later, go back to the bar. That's now better. Like I think of France. So, you know, I think that they, you know, certainly in Brazil, they want to set up a major situation because of the fan base that's on site. But yeah, look, it'd be better. And the Purple Blob Tour is perfect for this. We're super nimble. We're moving quickly. We're not thinking about, you know, the experience on the beach. We're thinking about the end user and really the best possible ways for the best possible surfers. That's, I think that's a great, great point. You nailed it. There's, um, there's no reason they shouldn't be nimble at this point. Like from a technical standpoint, yeah. it's actually easy to execute now. Yeah. You can be nimble. And the only thing that they need to be nimble are the cameras. All you have to do is get cameras set up because yeah. the commentators, the judges, everybody could stay back in that position. By the way, they could all stay home because they could just be watching the same feed, having the same experience that you and I are watching. Um, so you just need cameras on the beach and surfing as anybody who surfs knows is nimble. Like the conditions are always changing. If you don't build the business around being nimble and being able to get into those waves, then you're building it incorrectly. I mean, somebody has got to be able to, to build an app for the judges. So the judges are just carrying their phone around and they all yeah. five of them get together under whatever, you know, someplace and, you know, like it should be as simple as this phone as far as the totally. judging thing. Like you shouldn't have to unplug computers and move, you know, get wiring moved around and all that. Come on. We, we've talked about that in the past. Judging can be remote. Yeah. Totally. I've talked um, to people again, about that though, but people have pushed back on that. Um, I don't know if it was Devin 
It was Joe Turpel. Yeah, it was Joe. Joe pushed back on that. That's right. You kind of, and I kind of do agree with him. I think you get a better sense for what's happening if you're there in person. There, there's definitely a degree of of context that's different if you're in front of a computer versus you're actually on the site. Maybe it's you understand the power in the swell, or you understand what the wind's doing, you understand the elements, you kind of need to be there to, to feel the elements and feel what's going on to, I think, to get a better, to be a better judge, to get a better well, result. Okay. Well, we all can relate to that. I mean, I'm not saying you can't judge right now. I'm watching the footage and I can sit here and go, okay, yeah, that turn was, you know, this many degrees better than the past turn. That can definitely happen. But I, I do sense that there's, there's something to be said for the judges being on site. Right. I understand. But so we can all relate to the fact that when you witness something live and surfing, how much more dynamic and compelling it is than watching a video of it. We can also a step beyond that is when you're paddling out and you see somebody do something, it's so much more dynamic than actually seeing it from the beach you know what I mean? When you're at water level and the speed that that surfer has and the, whatever the, the spray or whatever, but the WSL's quest is objectivity. And so they've already kind of let go some of these, like, yeah, we would rather just have a free surfing experience where we're all living it live and all that kind of stuff. But you guys are striving for objectivity and you're also you should be replicating what's happening on the on site to us, the viewers at home, and the judges uh, scoring and all that stuff should be reflect uh, reflect what we're seeing at home. So if there is a disparity between what the judges are doing and what we're seeing, then you have a huge flaw in the plan. So either increase the number of angles and the number of uh, what the actual viewing experience or the judges should be reflecting what we're seeing and scoring it the way that we're seeing it. And you bring up a great point, that being objectivity, it could easily be argued that it's way more subjective when the judges are on the beach. It and is. if it's just you in front of a computer with maybe two angles and you and the other judges only have those two angles, you do get, it's like, hey, we're all watching the same thing with no outside influence, whether it be the power exactly. of the surf or the wind or the crowd or any of that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, Joe Turpel, consider that. <laughs> we love um, I know I'm just messing around. I don't even know where we were going with that conversation. Oh, uh, it was Pat O'Connell on the beach being influenced by Kelly Slater. That's how that all started. Um, well, help me out here. Isn't, I was talking to somebody on that trip I was gone and they were like, Hey, doesn't Kelly Slater own part of the WSL? Have we ever gotten to the bottom of that? Is WSL owned by Kelly Slater? Does he own shares? Does he, does he make money off of the bottom line of the WSL? Has anyone ever gotten to the bottom of that? Or, or do we all, are we all just burying our heads in the sand? It's a great question. I don't know. Um, what I do know is that Kelly, obviously, Kelly Slater Wave Co., was purchased by the WSL. Yeah, but and before so that, though, there was talk that Kelly had some, like, you know, because Terry's or Terry Hardy, Kelly's manager, wasn't he 
I don't know. I just think somewhere there's, I just sense that there's I don't some, remember some the shell company or something that, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm I don't, wrong. No, I don't think you're incorrect. I think there is some story there. I don't remember the details of the story. And I don't remember how the Dirk Ziff purchase affected that story. Yeah, I think that's actually, that might be the most underrated or that's the story that maybe, and maybe it's not a story. Again, maybe maybe it's just not a story. But I, yeah. I know that like six years ago, you and I were talking about this. We're like, I know. Doesn't Kelly own the WSL? Like on some level, he's got a few shares or something. And then it yeah, just kind of disappeared. I, we all just kind of went, oh, well. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't. Well, he's the one losing money on it. So <laughs> joke's on him. Um, <laughs> you, you referenced your trip, though. Um, we probably should have opened with that. Where'd you go? I went down to the southern provinces and regions of uh, the great nation of Mexico. And I got some super fun waves, man. The waves were good. I went, my buddy Danny down there at Rancho Surf Tours took me to some great spots and we surfed some empty surf, and which is what this old man loves, you know, just surfing some empty waves. And uh, there was days I, when it was crowded too, of course, but Danny's really good about putting me on waves by myself. You um, posted some, some of the imagery on Instagram. You sequenced them wrong. You should have opened with this bottom turn photo. That's the highlight shot right there. Yeah, it's a little out of focus the way you're doing it there. But yeah, I know that I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm still learning this Instagram thing. It's been 15 years and I still don't know how to use it. Well, it's the... Um, the bottom turn shot, you should be blowing this one up and putting it on your wall and forcing your kids to like acknowledge it every time they walk by. I was thinking about, you know how I have a big garage door? I was thinking mm -hmm. about putting a mural on my garage door so my neighbors can see it when they walk by my house. It's just a massive surfing picture of me on the garage door. I think, I think it's smart. Some of yeah. my neighbors did that right now during graduation season. It's like their daughter in the cap and gown, you know? it's like, congratulations, Kelly, or whatever. I think yeah. that's what you should do. All right. Should I put congratulations, Scott, too? Like just <laughs> and then at the bottom, style your arms like mine is the little caption underneath it. Um, no, it's a, I mean, it looks like you absolutely freaking scored, man. Yeah, no, I did. I'm, I am more surfed out than I've ever been in my life. Yesterday morning, because I was down there. I got back last night. Yesterday oh, okay. morning, I was in pumping six foot swell you know five six seven waves per set i was out by myself with two other guys and we were spread out over 700 yards or whatever and i'm sitting there literally letting five six waves go by unridden because i just i didn't have it in me i was spent jeez i was too tired to paddle for waves and when i paddled for him and caught him i was kind of too tired to surf him good i was just i i mean i we surfed our brains out, you know, three or four times a day, five days in a row. It's more than this old body can handle. I mean, that's the thing that negotiation you do with yourself where you're like, all right, I'm going to let this first one go. So I could just have like an extra 20 seconds of rest. Exactly. And then you see the next one. You're like, okay, I've got the energy to paddle and to get to my feet adequately. 
but do I have the energy <laughs> to then pull in and pump, That's you know? Exactly and it's like, well, right. and you're like, yeah, I do have that energy, but what about if I, it's a long one and I got to do a turn? No, I don't have that energy. Okay. I'm going to sit here again. I'm going to let the second wave go. Hopefully by the time the third wave comes, I have that energy and you're constantly negotiating. And then if you eat it on that wave, it zaps even more energy and calories. So you're just like, oh, I'm at a deficit now. I got to rest. I got to let another set go by. Yeah, I was like sitting halfway up the point too. I mean, at some point I'm like, do I really, I'm not going to fight the current up there by the rocks anymore. I'm just going to sit here where I can sit up and take it all in and, you know, contemplate and not be worried about a current or any of that. So how much of that experience makes you want to radically change your, training while you're at home and your diet and all that sort of stuff uh not too much i mean i'm at the point in my life where it's i'm kind of doing what i do you know i swim i surf you know i eat what i eat i'm i'm not like gonna you know chase any wct dream i mean you saw the footage that's about as good as i can surf that's kind of what i do i'm good at doing bottom turns that's about it and and i'm 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 fine with that i mean i'm i'm super satiated yeah. Good. Good. Uh, it's a great place to be in life. Yeah. Still get Hagen Dawes and you still get to get barreled. I was telling my buddy out in the water, um, his name's Bob Murphy, super cool guy. Um, and we were going, you know, in about three days, we're going to be wishing we would have paddled for these waves because we're going to be at home and it's going to be two foot. And we're going to be like, God, remember all those waves we just let go because we couldn't even paddle for them. Totally. Uh, Although there's you a can big only... south swell coming here to Southern California this this week, okay, we're, we're getting a big south swell. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, what board did you ride, or Wayne what boards Rich, did you bring? I brought one board, and I was struggling with which board to bring, but I brought Old Faithful, and I'm so glad I did because that board is magic. It's one of those boards where you, you know you can just count on it, and it just worked flawlessly. And it's the Wayne Rich. It's a B. It's the the model is called the B Dog, and I don't even think you can get it anywhere. I think you got to call Wayne to get one made. But um, you know, it's sort of a tweener, kind of a fishy thing, but not real fishy, but not real. Perf- it's in between. But it's one of the rare tweeners that actually works. It's mm. you get the best of both worlds rather than the worst of both worlds. So it's got a wide tail, very fast. Um, and uh, I just can't say enough about, I mean, this is probably the fourth bee dog I've had from Wayne and they're all awesome and uh, they just work great. And they're the type of board where you can move up to the front of the board to drive through the barrel, move back onto the fins to do big hacks. It holds in everything. Um, and it was, you know, it's the kind of board people go, hey, what are you riding? Like that board looks like it goes really fast and it's really easy to surf. And that's really the truth. You know, like I just paddle stand up and the board kind of takes off and it doesn't um, spontaneously combust out on the shoulder. It, it knows how to handle the speed and, and allows me to do with the speed what I want to do. And it's just a great surfboard by a great shaper. So it's a short board, but fuller volume. Yeah, it's 511. 5'11 is probably like 20 and a half, maybe 20 and three quarters wide. And then the width kind of stays with it, like the tail could easily be a swallowtail, but he just, he doesn't take a swallow cut out of the tail. He leaves it a square tail, but he thins the thing out so much in the tail. It's very, very wafer thin back there, Mm. which means that it can stay 
sunken into the wave through the turns um, and allows release, you know, where the, where the, if it was a swallowtail, it might add some bite. Um, but he just does a good job of foiling the thickness down to like a caster, you know, like just beautifully thin, wafer thin. But because it's wide, you get sort of the benefits of a wide tail, um, but also the benefits of being able to keep the tail sunken into the turn throughout the turn. Gotcha. Yeah. Epic. Is B yeah. in the is B in the B dog for bass? I don't know. You'd have to ask Wayne that. Uh, he made the design and, ma and named it. It's, it's not. I don't want to take credit for something that's not my thing. Like you did with yeah guy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, hey, uh, how would it be? How would it be if B dog was actually for bear? That board was actually Jimmy Bear board, and you didn't even know. That would be sweet. I would be. I would be fine with that. Uh, um, speaking of surfboards, we're giving away that. 6-0, Pizel, Shadow, John John trade-in. That's worth reminding people about. Absolutely. You'd be silly not to subscribe to the podcast and just automatically be entered when the boards that, frankly, David, you've been so good about getting and, and um, corralling for, for the giveaway. And at some point, I thought we were going to get a Christensen. I think we still are. But remember, I ordered that Christensen a long time ago. Like, when was that? That was a while ago, right? Yeah, it I, was. I just... I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they'll call me when it's done. Who knows? They well, told me eight was, weeks. You know what I was thinking? Um, they did. I think Christensen even told you that we'll get one for the show. If they are back up, backed up or whatever, if there's an issue or lag for that, we could just get one from real water sports. We could let our, we'll give away a Christensen. We'll tell our listener who wins. You could just pick one from real water sports and we'll cover the costs and have real water sports ship it. And that'll take lighten the load off Christensen even. Yeah, that might be better. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to getting it. I forget the model, but man, Chris makes. Mike, Chris an, micro, micronaut. Or yeah, something the micronaut. Like yeah, I think that's right. It was, I think it was a little quad maybe. Yeah, yeah. And um, Chris is another guy like Wayne who's made me. I don't think I've ever had a bad surfboard from those guys. You know what I mean? Totally. Chris Christensen's boards. I mean, like when I, I need a board where I'm like, okay, I like, I'm going to go out and do some solid surf. I need a board I can count on. Um, yeah. You know, Chris's boards, they're incredible. So yeah. are Wayne, so are a bunch of guys, Pat Ross. I mean, there's a bunch of guys, Roger Hines. I know. Lost, I know. Matt, Matt's made me so, I mean, yeah, I've had good boards from many, many. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, get in on that giveaway this month and we'll have one for every month throughout the rest of the year. But the John John trade-in Paisel is unbelievably unique and awesome and bespoke and built for John John and written by John John. Um, I have got a kook and a must-see moment for you, Scott. Yeah, who's your kook? Um, there was a video posted of a kid named Made. Let me see. Made Mahendra uh, getting shacked. I think it was at Nias. And he comes out, and there's somebody duck diving at the end of the wave with the tail of their board sticking completely out, like 
four feet beyond where their butt is. And Made goes to go into a turn and ends up getting hit right in the head by the tail of that person's board who was duck diving. And I just thought to myself, this used to be such an anomaly. We would see this once every two years. I feel like I'm seeing this now every other week on Instagram. Maybe it's because of social media, but I think more it's because there's just so many new people in the lineup. And I'm looking at, if it wasn't, I'd have to look at the footage again. If it wasn't Nias, it's still a pumping six foot barreling right-hander in Indonesia. What is that person doing out there if they don't know how to duck dive? And it's very clear that they don't know how to duck dive. Yeah. What are they doing out there? It's just vowels paddling out in lineups that they shouldn't be in. And this is where this chaos is happening. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear about that. I mean, that is unfortunate. And there's, I mean, I'll tell you that last trip to Mexico, there was, you know, at times there was busloads, literally busloads of kooks in a surf school getting off and just, the surf instructor guy just taking 15 guys out right to the top of the point and pushing them into waves. No way. Oh yeah. That's the new normal. So did you, you were having to navigate around that? I didn't even go out there. I was just sitting on an inside section and kind of get my own thing going on inside there. But, um, well, you know, that's, cause that's I, when it's my, really bad. My thought or up until this last two years, let's say, I always felt like that's fine. Mother nature were mother nature will sort them out. You know, like the surf school, those surfers are not going to make it out to the outside. They're also not going to be in the prime position for a wave. And they're definitely going to get swept down the beach in the current and I can hold my positioning. So I don't care. I'm not too worried about it, but in the last two years, all bets are off. Like that image, this mod, you know, Made should not be worried about getting hit in the head by a duck diver at six foot pumping reef pass. Yeah, that's that's definitely not cool, and it's unfortunate. And yeah, I it's mean, like, it, it, things are changed. I mean, like these guys at, at this point break, they there was like two or three surf instructor types on boogie boards that were just out there just pushing them into waves. You know. Yeah. And so they were kind of good enough to like get to their knees and stand up and just like, you know, you know, butt stance it through sections. And you're just like, oh my God. But it's insane. What are you going to do? I mean, we had a great trip. That was just one, one little moment. Well, it's a little moment, but it's pervasive nowadays and it's everywhere in the world, it seems. And it's dangerous. That's the other thing is it's actually uh, dangerous for everybody in the lineup. And I guess the, my problem with that story you just told was somebody's pushing them in when they're not adequate. They don't even know how to catch on their even, Yeah, they don't even know how to catch waves. They have no That's idea the problem. how to judge a wave breaking. You know? If they have the ability to make it into the lineup and to navigate and all that, then maybe they have a place there. But if they're just artificially dropped off there and pushed in, that's that's the problem. You know, I have a Duke. And my Duke is, there's two of them. And these two guys should be on tour. Like when I look at the back half of the tour, even now as it's been cut, there's definitely two guys that I could pull off of this tour and uh, these two guys should be on it. And they are Rio Wada, Indonesian Rio Wada and Mateus Hurdy. Those two guys 
should be on the WCT in a perfect Good world call. if I had my say. I mean, what we have is just incredible, exciting, above-the-lip surfers that um, I think Rio just won the Bolito Pro. Those two guys need to be on the CT. I got into a discussion with the guy, and, we're, and I said, okay, who are your top eight surfers? Let's put eight surfers on a tour that Red Bull sponsors, you know, like we've talked about. And we basically came up with, look, it's it's Elo, Felipe, Gabe. That's three. Only got five left. Um, Jack Robinson. Um, Ethan Ewing, Rio Wada, and Mateus Hurdy. Like, that yeah. would be a pretty fucking, excuse my French, go ahead and put a quarter in the curse box. Uh, that would be an incredible eight guys. Totally. Now, we need, I need to crowbar Kelly Slater in there somewhere. We eventually realized we need 12 guys. And we figured out a way, <laughs> by the way, we figured out a 12-man format. You have four heats of three. Two guys move on. The first round heat. Two guys move on, and then you have what would you have? You have eight. Now you're at eight, and you can go to four to two to one. Perfect. Solved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree with you. Rio Wida is currently number one on the C, on the uh, CS series, the Challenger series. So he very likely will be qualified for 2020, whatever that would be. 23. Uh, yeah, that's right. It would be 23. I, I was thinking, yeah, okay, so it would just be next year. So he's very well qualified. And Mateus Hurdy is, I think, 10th or 12th, but he's still kind of in contention. So he could be on tour as well. And my kook is I want everyone that's listening to take a close look at the bottom turns these guys are doing at J Bay. And are they doing, are there two or three kind of quick little fin checks at the bottom before they engage the rail through the bottom turn? What we want is, at most, one little fin check and then set your rail for your turn up at the top. Don't look at the top turns. The top turns are sexy, but look at the guys that are transitioning with the right rhythm and tempo at the bottom of the wave. We, bottom turns are going to make or break the winner of this event. Well, that leads me to my must-see moment. And I posted it on Instagram last night, and it is the epic three-minute video that Rip Curl did. It's an interview with Sonny Miller that they filmed in 2013. And it's Sonny talking about shooting that session with Tom Curran's first trip to J-Bay. It's Tom Curran's first time riding that surfboard. And it's Tom Curran's first wave that he ever surfed at J-Bay. And- It's a forfeit. Yeah, that's right. And uh, those bottom turns that he's doing are the template for what you're talking about. Um, and so we've talked about this wave a lot on the podcast, but we're in J Bay. Now the CT is there, and this is required viewing for all of us and hearing Sonny discuss it really adds to the gravity of, uh, the importance of that wave. Sonny's the, was the best is the best. We miss Sonny. He would come on my terrestrial radio show often. He'd come down, he'd bring burritos. He'd bring his little dog. We'd sit in the studio and you could just talk to Sonny for hours and he's just a, a charming, a gem of a human being. And everyone misses Sonny Miller. Such a great guy. So much fun. Yeah. Such good energy. Yeah. Well, watching that wave never gets old. And um, Tom, in addition to the bottom turn, we always talk about the bottom turn, but, um, or the bottom turns on that wave, but Go back and watch the way that he enters the barrel 
on the second half of the wave. He's he like climbs up the wave face yeah. while he's entering the tube. He's climbing up the wave face. And the way that he does it, nine out of 10 surfers, because of that entry, wouldn't have the projection to kind of get the line set and come out. So he kind of like, yeah, like you said, climbs and he's kind of like compressed, but he just makes it under the curtain. And you're like, oh, I wonder if he's going to find the line in there. And while you're wondering that, he comes out so perfectly posed or poised, just styling. He comes out of that thing in the perfect current stance. And you're just like, whoa, how did he get into that position? But also, I just want an image of him in that position because that is the that is the foundation for all surfing right there. Just in that saddled into his hips, perfectly like centered, just low and flying out of that thing. Goat status. Undeniably. Undeniably. Free scrubber. Well, look, David, we've said a lot. Uh, We've got a big week of WCT surfing competition ahead of us. It's going to be fun. It looks like, I guess you said, tomorrow's the big day. And there's going to be uh, a shakeup. And I will say this, uh, that Idolo heat scares me. Um, and I'm, I want Idolo to, to be in the top five, but he's got a tough heat. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's Idolo versus the Luke Thompson, the wild card, who had a very solid first round heat, barely lost. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, all of these heats are great. This elimination round is exciting. Baron Mamiya versus I'm rooting Luke. for Luke. As much as I love Idolo, I'm rooting for Luke because Idolo this season – has shown uh, that his head's not fully in the game. He's got some kinks in the armor, and I want him to be outed. I, 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 yeah, I want Elo in the top five at the end of the year. And if this if losing here means that that's not the case, then that's not good for me. I want Elo in the top five. I want Elo ousted out of the top five just as punitive punishment for his shortcomings in the first half of the season. And Kanoa can slip in there into the top five. Oh, that's, that's so wrong. You couldn't have picked somebody besides Kanoa. <laughs> well, I think Kanoa is sitting in contention right there in the sixth spot. All right. Okay. Well, look until next time, David, adios and aloha. Was it a huntsman or a player that made you pay the cost? That now assumes relaxed positions and prostitutes your loss. Were you tortured by your own thirst in those pleasures that you seek? That made you Tom the curious, that makes you James the weak. And you claim you got something going. Something you call unique But I've seen yourself pretty showing As the tears roll down your cheeks Soon you know I'll leave you And I'll never look behind Cause I was born for the purpose That crucifies your mind So can't convince your mirror As you've always done before 
Giving substance to shadows Giving substance evermore And you assume you got something to offer Secret shiny in you But how much of you is repetition That you didn't whisper to him too 